You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, I want to talk about our sponsors, Facebook Design and Abstract. Facebook Design is a proud sponsor of Revision Path. To learn more about how the Facebook design community is designing for human needs at unprecedented scale, please visit facebook.design. This episode is also brought to you by Abstract, design workflow management for modern design teams. Spend less time searching for design files and tracking down feedback, and spend more time focusing on innovation and collaboration. Like a glitch but for designers, Abstract is your team's version-controlled source of truth for design work. With Abstract, you can version sketch design files, present work, request reviews, collect feedback, and give developers direct access to all specs all from one place. Sign your team up for a free 14-day trial today by heading over to www.abstract.com. Do you want to use your skills to serve movements for social justice? Join a unique team of designers and developers who are also activists, organizers, cultural workers, artists, and musicians, and become a part of their fast-paced, mission-driven shop. Design Action Collective, a worker-owned design and communication studio in downtown Oakland, California, is seeking applicants for the following positions. Web developer, web designer, information architect, and project manager. They are committed to providing high-quality visual communications tools to progressive, nonprofit, and grassroots activist organizations, and they are majority non-cis male and people of color owned. For more information, visit their site at designation.org. That's D-E-S-I-G-N-A-T-I-O-N.org. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking with Chanel James, graphic designer at EAB and the Women Lead Chair for the Washington, D.C. chapter of AIGA. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, my name is Chanel James. I'm an in-house designer at a company called EAB, um, which is like a best practices research education firm. Um, We essentially help schools, uh, provide schools with uh, research and best practices practices to better the experience for students in higher ed and otherwise. Nice. So how long have you been at EAB? I'm almost at my two-year mark. I'll be at two years in February. It's been a really awesome two years. I've learned and grown a lot while I've been here. I've been I've touched a lot of different projects. It's in-house, but it can sometimes feel like an agency, which, you know, is exciting in that way. We get the same projects, but um, they're they change almost each year. So that's exciting for me. Nice. What attracted you to working for them? So to say that I kind of got to back up a little bit after graduating. Um, I went to go work for, uh, like a, a consulting firm, which was not my vibe, not anything I enjoyed doing prior to that. I was, um, uh, also I was working in-house for a nonprofit Fit, still in the education realm. And I loved that. It felt like a family, um, almost felt like school in the sense where I was like learning as I was like doing projects. But the other place was not anywhere in the realm of what I wanted to continue doing. So I came across EAB. Um, I met someone at an AIGA event in t- 2017 um, who worked here. And I looked up their work and I was like, oh, this is something, you know, I think I can I can get with I'm like I love like the the culture like how the culture looks and stuff so I applied and thankfully I got it and the rest was history from there but yeah I was I was really attracted to I'm a big one on uh workplace culture um and balance work-life balance uh because work takes up like 85 percent of our lives essentially and Mm -hmm. if you don't enjoy it while you're there, like if you don't enjoy, that's like most of your life you're not enjoying. So yeah, I try to focus on that. What is the culture like there? Very supportive. Um, people here understand, 
you know, that you have like, like people know that you have families and like you have life outside of the walls of EAB. So um, PTO is taken seriously. That's really hard when it comes to, um, you know, being in anything with design. Oftentimes people like, oh, you know, overnight, oh, we need this tomorrow. But here, if you're like, five o'clock comes they're like oh we understand i'll get i'll get it from you sometime midday tomorrow Mm. type thing so it's nice to have like i mean there are times when like right now it's like busy season so things are kind of like you we got to get it done but there's still boundaries i love how there are boundaries with work life and home life so i think that's my biggest thing of like why i love this company so much so far what's kind of been the most challenging thing that you've encountered while working there it can be whether it's just the general work culture or in the job specifically working with a client, anything like that? When I first started here, uh, it was, it's not the most diverse uh, um, place uh, and just in terms of like actual diversity. There are not many people of color. Um, they're working towards that, but uh, I think that was my biggest struggle when I first started coming from my back. Like, you know, I went to George Mason University. Uh, I graduated from there, which is all about like diversity, like, you know, celebrating people's differences. And so there were always different types of people. But when I started on my team, my my manager is a black woman, but then that's it. Everyone else is um white which is okay but mm-hmm. um i found myself not you know not feeling like i fit in quite well or wanting to do things the way other people do things i was i'm a very like i consider myself a very colorful uh black woman i like wearing scarves i have natural hair I, like i'm a big my hair is like a big piece of my identity so like um mm-hmm. coming into a space where i don't see anybody else who looks like me um dresses like me talks like me it's it's tough cuz you don't feel validated um and so you kind of have to like break out of that like it's a mind game almost you got to like remember that you know you you can celebrate who you are even though there aren't other people who look like you in the room but that still takes practice and it's tough and oftentimes um people leave places because they you know they're like I, you know, I don't see anybody here who looks like me. I'm a dip out, but I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of myself that I saw it through while I've been here because it's gotten a lot better um, for me. But it's still tough. Like I think we all, all designers, kind of feel the same thing. We're all, usually, you're usually always like the only designer in a space. But when you're the mm-hmm. only designer and the only black person or person of color in general, it's tough. It's hard. Yeah, I. I've been in situations like that, certainly where you're you end up being the I don't want to say the token. That's not really the best way to put it. But <laughs> you end up being the only one kind of by default. And so it takes really a strong sense of self to know that you're supposed to be here. You're here for a reason, because imposter syndrome can really set in fairly quickly. And it's set in really hard for me. And I think um it, it was something I had to get over in college too, because I was I came from so I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, which whoever is like from Virginia in general knows that Richmond is a it's it's like a predominantly like I don't predominantly black city. I grew up in like a all black elementary school, all black uh, middle school, all black high school. Um, because that's the way counties are set up. And we know that, you know, gentrification, redlining, all of the histories behind that, why like certain neighborhoods are more black than others. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I went to, I got into my college, which is in Northern, Virgi- Northern Virginia, and that's an entirely different space to be in. There are streetlights, there are, you know, they're constantly on. <laughs> and I know that's not, you know, it's, it's a small detail, but it's, it was something that it was small, but it, it, impacted me because I was like, wow, these people, these people got streetlights, they got sidewalks, they're encouraged to be outside, like the houses look all nice and clean. This is where I always like picture my, and I'm not saying I grew up, you know, in the hood, but when you grew up in areas that are predominantly black, things are different. That's just, that's Mm -hmm. just how it is. It's just different. So college Mm -hmm. for me was um, a little bit of a culture shock because I, it was, beautiful the campus was beautiful again predominantly white uh so I had to like find my community while I was there I was like where do I belong like you know then I started meeting like you know not just black but African people so I was like wow you know 
what's what then what am I like then my identity started like I started having like this identity crisis I'm like well people you know are starting to say you know they're from this country oh, I'm from Ghana I'm from Nigeria I'm from Germany mm-hmm. people at Mason were very big about repping their countries and then people would ask where I was from and I'm like America uh, Virginia <laughs> uh, like <laughs> so I had to like I I I feel like I like really had to find myself getting into college. Um, and that's why I say my hair is my biggest part of my identity. Cause during that time, freshman year, I shaved my head, <laughs> I cut all my hair off, um, oh, wow. went natural. And I decided, I was like, this is going to be my thesis. Like while I'm here, um, this is like, gonna be, like, let's talk about like the identity of like black Americans and things like that. Now, did that end up being my actual thesis in senior year? No, but it was a big part of like who I was. People knew me for like my different hairstyles. My art was kind of centered around my hair. I always brought up some type, because again, I was like the only black person in my class classes. It was like one or two of us. So I'm not, it's not, um, it wasn't, uh, that college was like the first time that I was the only person who looked like me in like classrooms and things like that. Other than, and that was, that's, that took a lot of, um, that took a lot of personality shifting on my part, but it, and I thought for some reason that when I graduated, things would change. Like I would go back into, you know, spaces where I'm like, oh, there's the, you know, black boss, black CEO, or, you know, Spanish CEO, like, you know, different type people. But I was wrong. I mean, so far everywhere I went, it's been like, or every every place I've worked at so far has been like uh, not too many people of color in general, and I don't really know why yet. I'm still trying to figure that out. So, like when you look back at your at your past experiences, is that the main thing that stands out to you? Is the diversity of the teams that you've been on? Yeah, I think so. Um, uh, now, you know, sometimes it can reflect like the. Uh, um, the experience I have with working. Um, sometimes, like when I first started at EAB, I was not confident at all. I, 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 I was talented. I, you know, people tell me I'm talented, but I felt like I was doing everything wrong. We have um, a lot of processes here uh, uh, and we're very organized. We're a very like process driven team. So when someone came to me and told me, oh, you know, this is wrong or this is how we do things. Um, I, I would get discouraged because I'm like, oh, like I did it wrong again. I would focus only on what I did wrong um, on top of the fact that I was the only, you know, black person. So I was like, yeah. I'm being looked at uh, differently because if I get it wrong, then that reflects not only on me, but everyone, you yeah. know. And it's such a it's such an unfair like burden to it's so un- yeah, it's a, it's an unfair burden to even have on your mind. It's like, oh, I'm not just messing up for me. I'm like messing up for all black right? people. Like that's oh, I hate that. Yeah, and so I don't think and I and I you know, I started finding myself wanting to find spaces where there were other people who looked like me or who thought like me. Um I was mm-hmm. still pretty like hesitant to be my full self around um other than my boss. Uh, who's black? I think when it was just me and her going into like you know having our you know weekly uh, biweekly check-ins, I kind of like un- like I was able to unfold a little bit. I'm like, girl, let me tell you about this week. Or yeah, did you see, uh, oh, did you see Black Panther? How did you like that? Like type thing. But when I'm yeah in this, like I had a it was a huge challenge for me to to call out things. I'm like, guys, we shouldn't be you know doing and it's still a challenge because you don't want to be that person like I, I again mm-hmm. i'm black but do i have to call out the things that you know that that might offend people of color or yeah. you know or do i seem um do i seem like i'm whining a little bit do i am, you know, the the it goes back to the point of validation I, I don't sometimes you don't feel validated when you're in spaces when you're the only one who looks yeah. like you and i mean i think i think companies should should realize that that's sort of like a or that should be seen as like an advantage or a cultural advantage of some way. You're being able to see something that perhaps not everyone else is seeing because of the homogeneity of the team. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And one of the things that I uh, people 
So one of the things that ended up happening uh, for me to really feel like myself here was the fact that I found we have employee resource groups, which I think most companies have, but it's like groups that are like for veterans, for parents, for, you know, different, uh, just different groups of people to like celebrate themselves and things like that. So there was, uh, we have the group called Mosaic um, and I found you know, it was like two other black women in my team, like some uh, some director level women, some entry level women and like in men. Um, uh, and I was able to kind of like, find, you know, find more of myself in them. Whenever I felt like I was running into an issue at work or I wasn't confident, I run up to one of their desks. I'm like, oh, I can't believe this. Like, you know, type thing. Am I, and they would kind of help me feel a little bit better about whatever situation I was going through. Now, mm-hmm. I noticed that all of the black people come to my desk <laughs> during the day. They'll come by, hey, Chanel, hey, girl. Like, and I, it's kind of become like we have a network, a system. We, I hate to say it, I think everyone has like some type of like Slack group or group chat. Like, yeah. a black, yeah. I mean, you don't name it that, but it's, you know, you kind of <laughs> like a black Slack. Um, just yeah. like, hey, so, you know, did y'all see this in the news, pop culture? You know, things that you can talk about freely without feeling judged um in a sense Mm -hmm. so uh finding that community here was really important for me but that took a while so prior to that i um i started going to meetups uh aiga has been a really big part of my identity too so i it's 2018 uh uh, applied to sit on the board of uh, the dc aiga dc uh chapter um and i ended up getting i started off as a program coordinator and now i'm woman lead um and that yeah thank you uh that's been a really big part of my identity as well because i'm able to create spaces um find other young designers uh even like non-designers who are just looking for a community um and help build that sense of community for them to fit just to help them like push through the the end of the work week like we create programs that i think build people up and i think that's yeah why you know i'm i'm such a big fan (laughs) so let's let's switch gears here a little bit because i'm curious to know you mentioned growing up uh sort of in the in the dmv area earlier was design and and art and tech were those like a big part of your upbringing? Were you exposed to them early? Yes. Yes. And no, I'm just going to say yes. Um, okay. Not designed specifically because uh, I think we get that com- a lot of people growing up would be like, oh, design computer. And I'm like, I'm not a computer whiz. But um, <laughs> let's see. I uh, had a speech impediment growing up, like when I was really young. So I took speech classes in elementary school. It's like so bad that my parents sometimes didn't even understand what I was saying. It was like only my big, uh, I have two older sisters. Um, one mm-hmm. of my sisters who I roomed with would like have to translate for me. So I watched like Blue's Clues a lot. And that taught me like how to take basic shapes and like built these complex forms, right? And so I would illustrate sometimes to communicate. Uh, and then I uh, I started becoming more inspired by, you know how you go into black homes, you go on like family reunions and things like that, and you realize everyone has the same piece of art. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I was also pretty like taken aback about that. So uh, I my mom introduced me to not introduced me but showed me some pieces by Jacob Lawrence um who was anything in the Harlem Harlem Renaissance I was like a huge like nerd for uh, uh I, I hate to bring him up but uh Bill like Bill Cosby little Bill that cartoon um mm-hmm. that art like piece those pieces of work, like works uh really inspired me growing up and then I, you know, got into middle school. I was introduced to uh, animating, but not using any Adobe programs. I think we just used like iMovie and the Paint <laughs> app. I can't tell you what exactly we used, but it was frame by frame. Um, and my art teacher, Mr. Epps, really saw like something in me, and so he encouraged me to, you know, keep doing these di- digital illustrations. Um, which again, didn't I didn't connect that to design because no one was using that terminology uh, around me back then. So I was really inspired by doing that. Art has always been like a really big part of my life to the point where I like <laughs> I applied to the Center for the Arts 
high school in my uh, area, but I didn't get in, which crushed me. But, you know, I had a pep talk by my mom. She's like, no, you can do it. Like, la, la, la. Like, you know, just keep going to the regular, like, go to the re- regular high school, make things happen for yourself. And I think my parent, my parents both encouraged me in art, but my mom told me I had to pair it with something. She's like, if you're going to be an artist, you know, you have to make it profitable. So like mm-hmm. go into like go work for a company. Again, she's describing graphic design, but she's not using the terms graphic design. She's just kind of like, you can work for a company and make like maybe like advertising, things like that. I'm like, okay, yeah, I can do that. I ended up uh, senior year uh, applying to VCU arts, which again, I didn't get into. Uh, so my world was crushed again. My validation was crushed again. And I was like, oh, like, I don't, you know, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Uh, found George Mason, applied there um, and got in. And that's when I, I think it was like in one of my entry level design classes, someone, they started teaching us about design and Bauhaus and like all the histories. And that's when I started, like I was introduced to the programs and I just kept practicing. i I think the biggest turning point for me was meeting my professor, Reese Quinones, who walked in the room and it was the first time I saw a black professor walk into a room up to that point. I think this is like my senior, uh, my sophomore year. Um, and I was shook. I was just kind of like, oh my gosh, I have a black professor. And she was so talented. She spoke with, uh, now she's Puerto Rican, but like, just looking at it, you're like, oh, she black, you know, it's black, it's Puerto Rican, mm-hmm. we're all the same thing. But she, she spoke with such passion about what she did and like she would build things and it was almost like watching a movie. She's like, yeah, we can just take this shape here, add some transparency here, you know, a line here and boom. And I'm like, how did you do that? I want to be just like you. Um, and she inspired me so much that like I would sit and practice on weekends, just copy copying things that were in the like media and things like that, going uh, going to museums and just trying to understand why I like what I liked and stuff like that. So I think yeah, that that was like my biggest like introduction to design. But growing up, I've always been I've always been a little little Chanel artist. That's, that never changed to me. Okay. When did you sort of get the sense that this was something that you could do for like a career? Because it sounds like George Mason was a time that really was formative in shaping the fact that you kind of could do this full time just as, as a skill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. I was able to sign up as like d- different group, like school groups. Like we, I was in fashion society and I'm not a fashionista, but they wanted me to like make their, some of their like flyers and social media ads. And oh, things you were like just that. saying you, you have the colorful scarves and everything. I'm, Talking yes. about you're not a fashionista. <laughs> okay. It's <laughs> one sense to be like colorful and do your own thing, but I don't think I'm like an influencer. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. (laughs) But uh, I, I would like do things for them. um, And eventually, some people from there would be like, Oh, actually, you know, some girls would be like, Hey, I need a logo for this. Like, do you think you can do it? I'm like, Yeah, I can. In my head, I'm like, No, I can't. I don't know how to do anything. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I would just kind of go for it. uh, Open up Illustrator, which at that time was like my best friend. And put some text and things together. Now, looking back on it, some of the things I did was, I mean, I was just starting out. So, you know, it wasn't yeah. this, the best stuff, but that's when I started, you know, doing things for profit. Um, and, you know, then if one person heard from another person that, oh yeah, Chanel, Chanel's the graphic designer. Like Chanel, in 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 the Black Mason, in Black Mason, like people know me as uh, the graphic designer. So because our community was so small, it was like, you had like maybe three designers who you'd be like, or three d- artists in a sense who who would kind of do things for like the black programming and um, things like that. And I also uh, ended up getting a job on campus working with our housing department as a graphic designer, um, which was, I think, a pretty, that helped me um, figure out how to work on a team. It was kind of set up like uh, in-house where we would be doing things for just housing and things like that would create uh, illustrative posters for our um, campus residence fairs and um, 
uh, things for uh, what's it called? Freshman move-in was a really big campaign that we would have to like uh, create marketing materials, signage, uh, uh, like flyers, and all of these sorts of like collateral pieces. Um, was when I started building that skill set of like time management, uh, you know, sending things to print and things like that. So that molded me a lot. By the time uh, I finished that uh, role there, I think. I was able. That's my. Uh, I was able to intern with my mentor, who was who was Risa Kenyonis, the professor who I like was drooling over <laughs> my sophomore year. Mm-hmm. I interned at her company and then ended up contracting for a little while. And I'm getting like going down the line of like my timeline, but that's essentially um, how I started. Like realized how to make a profit. People just kept referring me um, by word of mouth. Yeah. Now, you graduated in 2017. You've been working here in the industry for a few years. And we we spoke about this a little bit before we started recording about the notion of kind of being a mid-level slash mid-career designer, I suppose. Uh, Where do you see yourself, like right now, we're recording this 2019, where do you see yourself in the design industry at this level? I see myself, I I don't know. I'm in the middle of it. I I don't see myself as a expert by any means, right? And I said this like before, but I also don't see myself as I see myself as a goat. I I don't. It's so hard because I, I I'm still trying to figure that out essentially. Um, and I think a lot of us mid level designers are just still trying to figure that out. Um, I am a part of a lot of things mainly because of like my job, AIGA, I do freelance. Um, and I mm-hmm. use all of these different avenues and tools and like people and volunteering and things like that so that I can say, yeah, like I've worked on, you know, I know how to like put a team together. I know how to um, run a program. I know how to ask for donations and things like that. So, but I'm, I haven't been doing it as long as other people. So mm-hmm. I get nervous to say, you know, yes, refer me for this or, uh, see me as as an expert you know you don't have to use the word expert if you're not using the word expert what else do you use right it's something where you know it feels like the it's the mid part that is kind of i think a little bit trippy because certainly when you see like entry-level positions i see entry-level positions that require as much as five years experience that is not entry level (laughs) if you've got five years of experience under your belt but in the same vein, what is the middle of a designer's career at this yeah, stage in the yeah. game? Because the tech, the tech is changing, the the roles are changing. I mean, ten years ago there weren't product designers; everyone was a web designer or a graphic designer. Right. So the the roles are changing, the structures are changing within companies. What if you are a really strong like individual contributor but you don't want to go into managing a team team or managing people like yeah where where do you go from there like the it's a lot of sort of nebulous nebulousness (laughs) in the middle of the the design kind of career because i think even the ones that are the experts i feel like they i don't know it's it's tough to say it's a time i certainly it's a little sorry go ahead no yeah no i was gonna say like it's a little like it you're you're really just looking at like the time of how long i've been doing this or if i've been doing this too long like have i like refreshed up my skills like how long has it Mm -hmm. been since i've since i've learned the latest newest thing about this topic and i think and i also think with being mid-level um you're 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 trying to move away from the negative notion that comes with being new or being like labeled as new labeled as Mm -hmm. like entry because a lot of people who I've um like even this summer I was able to mentor uh two amazing individuals uh uh for our marketing department but they both expressed to me how like how weird they felt how how much of a like negativity came with the word intern came with the word like new came Mm. with the word college uh college grad or college student um because people kind of brush you off into thinking that you're not oh she's not skilled or she doesn't have but because i mean they have they both were black uh black women i think that sometimes white uh young white people can get away with uh with being new, but also being something that people gravitate towards as like 
experts or you know mm. go-tos in, in that sense yeah. i mean look at there, there are fresh new voice fresh new voice look at what's his name um facebook dude uh <laughs> how he started <laughs> what's his name <laughs> the ceo <laughs> mark zuckerberg mark, yeah when he's i mean like he was like this college level new like what behind the ears guy and then like hey i want this app you know him and his like other dudes are like i'm sorry i'm using such like <laughs> basic it's okay, it's terminology okay. but <laughs> type thing but when new people come out with an idea sometimes it's like oh you know they're so scared yeah let's give them a chance but i feel like as a person of color if you're if you're coming in as like new young and of color, it can be really hard for people to take mm-hmm. you seriously. It can be so oh, yeah. hard for people to take you, unless you have a bunch of awards behind your name. Um, you've been, you, oh, I interned at Google. I interned at Facebook. I got into mm-hmm. the Center for the Arts at my high school. I went to VCU Arts. And because I didn't have those names, those, I didn't, I didn't start having like many titles behind my name until like a year or two ago. Um, mm-hmm. It, you know, I, it made me feel like I, didn't have much of a space in the industry to to give advice or you know to really just kind of be seen as a person in the industry I was still like a student of the industry if that makes sense that makes sense I'll tell you a secret even and this is just not only from people who I've had on the show but also speaking from personal experience even when you get to that level of having the awards and the accolades and all that Mm -hmm. stuff guess what people still don't take you seriously (laughs) <laughs> it doesn't really get I don't want to say it doesn't get that much better you sort of have a little bit of an advantage depending on the communities that you're speaking to mm-hmm. but I I run into some of the same issues of credibility at this stage in my career mm-hmm. as I did 10 years ago why do you think that is like wh- I mean what what issues of credibility what what issues of credibility come up like who would- I mean how real can we get I mean <laughs> <laughs> For me, so I listened, I started listening to this podcast um, when I started this job. Actually, like before I started this, every day when I was at the job that wasn't for me, Mm -hmm. to be very frank, I was very unhappy. I would listen to this podcast, Revision Path. Every day, as like, and you know, I would go back and I would listen to all of like the. This is uh, maybe like summer of 2017 because I was I felt so inspired by all of the individuals who looked like me, who came from places like me, um, who, who, who they almost seemed like, I was like, okay, they have like these accolades and they have like these medals, these badges. They are, they are taken seriously in these spaces. Even when people like spoke about like their struggles of getting to where they were, they still got to Mm -hmm. where, where they were. So that pushed me like, and then knowing that you're the voice behind it, like, and knowing all, of course, like, we can list a bunch of things about <laughs> Maurice Cherry and all the things that he's like done for the community and like, you know, the task. I know you were on the task force many years ago and things yeah, like that. The, yeah. AIG, yeah, task yeah. Force with, I met Jacinda. Jacinda was a really big part of like pushing me uh, back in like 2017 or 2016. Um, so that community, right? Like, I'm like, Oh, you guys, you guys made it. You are it. But for, to hear you say like, uh, <laughs> no we're still like we're still trying it's interesting i i think you know and i I might be telling some secrets here but (laughs) i feel like uh some of us and i'm not speaking for everyone right some of us try to do a a good job of obscuring that i think from those that are coming up because we don't want you to have that baggage right like we don't want you to come into it knowing like oh you can even still get this far and still run into issues because the hope is that the work that we're doing clears the path, makes it easier for the next generation. I don't even say next generation. I mean, it's not like we're that far <laughs> no, apart, but I mean, it, it, it makes the, it makes the road easier by walking it. So that's the, the hope is to just not talk about all the negative stuff that happens mm-hmm. and just try to focus on the more positive things to be that inspiration because it it can be, you know, it's there are still a lot of isms out there. And I'm not just talking about the isms that have, have cropped up, I'd say, even more violently because of our current political system. But I mean, racism is still very much a thing. Yeah. Sexism is still very much a thing. Other isms, ageism, homophobia, yeah. et cetera, ageism. Yes. Uh, even location. I mean, I'm in Atlanta and 
a lot of <laughs> I get so many sort of like small microaggressions about being from the South mm. or being in the South and and doing tech and design. I understand. Like yeah. if I'm not in New York or if I'm not in in L.A., like you know these capitals. Where are you? What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's like oh Atlanta. <laughs> oh, okay. You know. But at least um, Atlanta. I mean, sorry to change the subject a little bit, but Tyler Perry, like the studio. Like I feel like I don't know. Like Atlanta's on the come up with a lot of things. It, it is. It is on the come up of a lot of things. I think, particularly as it relates to entertainment. Um, I would even say as it relates to tech, but it it certainly doesn't get the same level of I think respect. Um. Oh, absolutely not. Doesn't get the same level of respect at all as like what's happening in in California or what's happening in New York. Georgia still because you know what ends up happening. I mean, Atlanta is still very much a blue dot in a red state if we're talking politically. Mm. So there are political issues which crop up that will overshadow a lot of other good things that are happening here. Mm. You know, like, uh, for example, the abortion heartbeat bill from earlier this mm. year. That come that came up and then people were boycott or people from Hollywood wanted to boycott Georgia, boycott Atlanta, really. Mm. Um, and Atlanta is is uh, because we're that like blue dot in in the red state. We get the brunt of that, you know. Um, it's it's very much a different <laughs> it's very much a different world once you leave Atlanta in terms of being in Georgia. So to that effect, there are a lot of things that happen here that oftentimes will just get overlooked uh, because it doesn't come in the I guess in the right package I don't know it's it's an odd and that it's an odd thing I mean and that sucks too because um you know like I'm 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 still pretty young I mean doesn't even matter about age but like essentially I, I have time to go anywhere I have time to like explore everything but when I think about I'm like okay so where can I you know where can I go where what what's next after this um DC is, you know, is hot and happening. There's always, you know, jobs. There's yeah. always things, you know, going on. But do I want to live in DC forever? Probably not. Absolutely not. And I'm like, mm-hmm. do I want to move back home to Richmond? Probably not. There's no jobs. You know, I don't think about. <laughs> I don't think like consider jobs there. And so then I'm like, oh, I don't want to move to New York. I don't want to be that girl. I don't want to be that person right now. And where I'm like, who's who knows what's gonna happen in like two or three years but mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. when i think about like midwest and things like that south like what's happening in the south you're right i mean other than atlanta um because i you know i think about different companies and things like that's there i don't see myself in many other places and then it just puts me back i'm like well let me see what like what's happening here in dc which is unfortunate because i feel like there's yeah. so many um amazing things uh that each city can can bring in terms of like design life and culture yeah you have to really kind of work hard to make and and carve out whatever that space looks like like i, I remember when i was uh, like 29, 30, I was really trying to move out of Atlanta, like <laughs> hardcore. I was like, this is not working. My career has hit a plateau. Well, at that point, let's see, I was 29, 30. I had started my studio. I had just finished up this like political campaign that I was working on. And so things were kind of on an uptick, but I still felt like I was hitting a wall. And oh I was like, God. I am not going to get better in my career until I leave and like go to New York. So I had like a friend of mine in New York who was sending me all these uh apartment listings and everything mm-hmm. and I uh, <laughs> I I mean long story short I didn't move to New York <laughs> but I ended up finding a way to make it work here which is not to say that I I gave up mm-hmm. but certainly I just couldn't I personally couldn't see myself in New York. I mean I'm a southern boy <laughs> through and through. Like I I know that about me and I mean I've visited New York a ton of times new york is just it wouldn't i wouldn't vibe with the city I think like that's just not how my whole my energy would not vibe with new york so i was like i can't do new york right. like that i can visit but i can't <laughs> same, live there same. and i'm from new jersey originally all my family's like in new jersey and before that alabama like so i mean i, I never lived in alabama but my family has and so i also am the same way about like the north i'm like mm, no thank you but i yeah, I think that that's also another thing with being a mid-level designer. You mentioned um, like how you you saw yourself somewhere and, you know, you tried to go for like. So when you're middle in the middle of it, I'm going to call it in the middle of it. You you're essentially like looking at like multiple roads in front of you. And you're like, my my actions right now can affect where I am 
by the time I'm 30 or like by the time I'm 35 and things like that. I'm 20. I just turned 24. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I, I'm always cautious in thinking of what's going to happen, you know, if I do jump job, like, you know, do find mm-hmm. another, you know, I, I want, what should I try to work abroad for a few years like some of your um other like other people you've like interviewed i listened like to some people who who are moving to like china and you know going to germany i'm like hmm, maybe i should try to like is that something i should try to yeah. do before i'm x amount of years old like or maybe i should like i don't have a family i have no like ties to anything so i'm like i should do this or maybe i should do this i'm looking at all these different paths that i can take and it can sometimes be a oh, really overwhelming yeah. um and i think that's the other part or uh about being in the middle of your career because you're not quite sure what can happen and what can change and that's with life in general obviously but it's a bigger thing when you're looking at like all of your idols and um the people you look up to you're like okay like i see that they made this decision but what's going to be right for me type thing so mm-hmm. yeah and i think i mean that involves a lot of of introspection it involves really like sitting down with yourself and saying or answering the question, what does success look like for me? Hmm. Like, yeah. what what is the space? And this is something that we actually explored at uh, at Black and Design uh, uh, and really this past weekend. <laughs> uh, but but there, were, there was one of the things about how do we carve out a space for wellness and for joy. Because I mean, certainly in America, I mean, we, you know, we black folks in America, we know, <laughs> we know what the deal is in terms of how we're, you know, perceived by society, treated by society, right. law enforcement, incarceration, a number of different things that are set up to go against us as just basic human beings. Uh, does that change if we move overseas? Maybe. I mean, I think certainly from like the folks I've talked to on the show, like it's a trade off, right? Like, you certainly gain some things, but you lose other things. Right. Um, I remember I was talking to Douglas Turner. I think he was like episode 107 or something like that. But he lived in Iceland for a number of years. And he was talking about how like the Icelandic society is very tribal in that, you know, everyone kind of knows each other. And he's like, you know, the only black man in Iceland. <laughs> and, and And saying how for him, it didn't feel like racism really existed there right which i thought was interesting considering he'd be one of the like few people of color there and then coming back to the states and seeing how it was different um another interview with uh kai jacobs who's a ux designer in amsterdam originally from i think he's from jersey new york he's originally from the the northeast u.s but like him and his family are in amsterdam and we actually had a, like a two part episode. The first part was, Hey, you know, you're out there in Amsterdam. What, what's it like working out there, et cetera. And then we recorded the second episode right after Trump was elected. Wow. And it was, uh, it was a pretty heavy episode. I think it's episode 179. I right. think. Um, but I remember because it came right at the end of, uh, 2016 and we sort of had this conversation like, well, do you think you would come back? Like, now, given sort of the state of how things are, like, what would that look okay. like? And I know I know now I've been talking to several people who are really like seriously considering moving abroad, moving to another country, like going to Ghana or going to uh, Isaac Hayes, who I interviewed a, a couple of months ago, was in China right now with his family. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine right now is currently like going through Thailand. Wow. Just like co-working. He says there's like a black co-working space in Thailand. Absolutely. In Chiang Mai. I'm like, what? Where? Like, how? Dude, I have a passport. We can go. Like, we like, like, if we need to make this happen, if we need to start doing, like, black design expat trips, we can make that happen. But uh, I, I think about that a lot as just the industry is changing, the wages that the world is changing. And what does that mean for, like, our safety and our sanctity? Not just as, you know practitioners of this craft in this industry but like just as people mm. in this world you know like yeah it's, it's heavy stuff it's, yeah. it's a lot of heavy stuff um because it because especially when i think about like what is it that is stopping black designers from becoming leaders of design like clearly we're out there and we've had you know a couple of them on the show but it's it's very few and far in between yeah even, and even Oh, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. No, go keep going. No, I was going to say, even some of the projects that I've done, like most recently, the uh, the literary anthology I did, Recognize, is about trying to set up what does the next generation 
look like because yeah we have you know the big names now the and i'm i'm not singling them out but like we have debbie millman we have you know stefan sagmeister paula sure we have these big names but like they're not gonna live forever no that's what does the next generation of like design criticism design thought design leadership look like for this industry because a lot of people from around the world do take their cues from what's happening in design in america right so it's like if we're putting forth this you know monolithic monocultural view of what design is based on the people that are practicing it then where does that leave us right and i think on that note like um with like you know who the next leaders are for for me my focus used to be so much on who's already there right Mm. i'm looking at uh for me like some of my idols like i'm like Diane Holton, who I like used to fangirl over all the time. And now Mm -hmm. I work alongside her. We're both on the same, uh, same, uh, programming team for, uh, AIGA. But like when I'm looking at like these large names in my eyes, I'm like, well, they're they're already there. That's when I, uh, I start switching my, I switched my, uh, thought process a little bit to who's alongside me. Like who's, uh, with me right now. Who's like, doing amazing work, who's doing amazing things, who's probably going to be the next big thing in terms of our industry. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you, if like you listen to like uh, this quote that Issa Rae, who I also stand, uh, says, she said, um, instead of like networking up, network across. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, Mm -hmm. this past, uh, we just had our DC Design Week a few weeks ago um, and I was able to uh, create a program, an event, an event around my friend Bria Bryant, who, Bria Taylor, who uh, she does these amazing, she started out as a designer and she's still a designer, but she designs these like kick-ass looking cakes. Um, it's called Killer Cakes. And mm-hmm. she is so talented, like to the point where I'm like, you need to have your own show on TLC or something or wherever they're doing the baking things nowadays. And <laughs> I was able using like my my role, my leadership role at AIG, like in on our ch- uh, chapter board, I was able to create a program that sold out, like oversold out actually around her speaking about her process, her story, what she does. And then like, selling like had her make a little bit extra money by doing like a pop-up shop with like brownies and cakes and things like that and I was like that's what Mm -hmm. I feel like we mid-level designers should be trying to do like you know instead of like step on each other like use each other to build each other like up um uh refer each other uh for projects that we can't take instead of just kind of letting the project fall through um you know telling each other about like you know hey, Bria's having an event happening on Saturday or Simone's having an event like tomorrow, you know, building a network within ourselves. Um, and yeah. then that eventually the eyes are going to start turning on us. And it's like, oh, th- this is what this person is doing um, in the industry. And then, you know, that's when like the shift happens. But if, if we're... Mm-hmm. Some people still can have like a competitive mindset of like, oh, I'm not going to tell you about this opportunity. Oh, I'm not going to tell you about yeah, this job. Yeah. You know, and then it can it can be even harder than what it already is. Um, mm-hmm. I had a friend recently tell me about um, the Ad Color, the Ad Color conference. Um, have uh-huh. you heard? Yeah, there's like a conference and an award show. Right. But there's also an opportunity, like some type of like fellowship opportunity. I don't know. I'm going to say fellowship, but it's a really cool um, opportunity for young people who are creatives to or like in the marketing. Some people work Facebook and things like that who um, get mentored for like a week, um, gets to take these classes, gets to take back these like, it's like workshopping and things like that. And then they get sponsored to go to the award show and meet some of the like the leaders in that industry and things like that. But my friend could have kept it a secret and be like, oh, I'm gonna apply, you know, when that time comes. But she yeah. said, like shared that information with me and was like, yeah, you should also do, I see you also like, like in this space, you know, able to do that. And I think that type of mindset is important for where we are in our careers right now, because it's the only way that we'll be seen instead of Mm -hmm. like no i agree i think so there's there's two examples like when you talk about that like the networking across uh one is is this sort of and i'm i don't know if anyone has written about this (laughs) um this may be a free idea if there are any journalists that are listening but like 
over the past five years, there's been this kind of emergence of like a, um, are you familiar with the, the Brat Pack? Does that name sound familiar? No, not at all. So it, <laughs> so the Brat Pack was like a group of actors in like the eighties and nineties that all kind of ended up starring in the same similar types of movies as like Molly Ringwald, Andrew McCarthy, mm. Patrick Dempsey, Rob Lowe, some folks like this, but they all kind of like, they were friends, but then they also run like all these movies together and stuff like that. The name sort of comes from the Rat Pack, which were a group of musicians in like the 50s and 60s, Frank Sinatra, mm. Sammy Davis Jr., um, uh, Dean Martin, a couple other folks. But like now I feel like there's this emergence of like a, like a black pack <laughs> in a way yeah. where it's like Issa Rae, um, who, who you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Melina Matsukis, Quinta Brunson, uh, like I'm thinking of people that are like, that have like started on the web mm-hmm. and have moved up into larger areas of media and they all kind of work together with and across each mm-hmm. other together in a really interesting way because you see them in each other's projects mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, that's like they're, they're working together, that sort of thing. I also see that honestly in the podcasting world too. Um, are you familiar with the read? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So like the read, there's like a a number of shows that are kind of in the in the same orbit of the read, right. but they're all friends. Like there's the friend zone yes. with uh-huh. Hey Fran Hey and and Dustin and Asante. There's getting grown with uh, Jade and Kia. There's Jade and XD, and they all are friends, but they all have like their own Platform. separate shows and platforms, yeah. but they all cross like pollinate i yeah. guess with each other and i'm like that is so dope i would love to see what a black sort of design collective exactly. of some sort would look like if we were doing that that's similar like what could we accomplish right and i and, and put out in the world with that sort and of thing. i talk about that all the time with um some of my friends i have a friend in new york uh tavis northam who is a designer director photographer and we are always collaborating on projects and you know then I think he came out with like this indie short called Bakari about like this runaway slave and I created like the poster for it and oh he's always like he's referring me all the time I'm referring him same with like oh man it's so funny I can't believe I'm forgetting your name but some of my friends who actually went to black and design um uh I'm, I'm the same way with them and I think I don't know I think that like that emergence is already kind of happening when you look on certain channels on Instagram, um, certain like things popping up, people are creating Mm -hmm. a lot. uh, There's a lot of like uh, things like well-read black girl. I don't know if that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like things like, yeah, things like that, like uh, platforms like that, that are um, uh, black creatives on uh, also on Instagram, things that you can like hashtag and tag is like it's a feed that you can kind of mm-hmm. like scroll through that is getting larger and larger, like by the month um, where you're seeing people support each other. I gain a lot of my followers. I think by like my different, ha- I always like hashtag in um, on my art on Instagram. And then I like get people messaging me, DMing me. And all of a sudden, like I have a whole network of like new friends who are enjoying the same things like type arts and things like that as I am. So yeah. I think that's cool. And it's really important. Yeah. I would really like to see more of that like working together collaborating on on projects and things like that and i i mean i even try to help out where i can certainly like for people who i've had on the show like if there's something they're interested in i try to try i try to make those connections mm-hmm. sometimes they work sometimes they don't you know you do I what mean, you have to, to do be honest, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not afraid to uh like for a long time i would like write notes from the like the different episodes that really inspired me and I would message I would like go on like in LinkedIn or wherever they said at the end of the show to like to talk Uh to them I would message them like hey my name is Chanel you really inspired me with this thing that you said I just wanted to let you know like it affected me one girl who you um who you interviewed she I think she was from Boston uh Uh Her name started with a D and I'm blanking on exactly what it was. But maybe last year I reached out to her on Instagram um, and we actually ended up becoming uh, 
like I'm not gonna say friend friends, but like IG friends, and I would like like and comment on like her work and stuff like that. But yeah, it, like she was, I think she was like also my age, so like I was super excited mm-hmm. to like to hear her story and hear her process and hear like how like what she's doing, like what she was able to do after school in um, Boston. I'm trying to think who that is. I, well, maybe okay, Boston, maybe Connecticut. Uh, she. She she bought at RISD, uh, but I don't think she went to RISD. Oh, I mean, um, Daniqua Rambert. Her name Daniqua. Yeah, she goes by yes. Willow now, but yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, like she definitely was a big like inspiration to me. And I, I, I think I caught her off guard when I messaged her. I was like, hey, girl. <laughs> I'm a fan. And she was probably like, who is this girl? Like, <laughs> type thing. But, um, I mean, she seemed cool with it. I was cool with it. I know. So, like, <laughs> yeah. Nice. Well, when you look at, I mean, we're coming up at not just the end of a year, but the end of a decade right now. What do you see yourself doing in the next five years? Like it's 2025. What is Chanel James working on? Wow. Okay. So I I definitely wrote out my five-year plan. Um, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) This was actually on my five-year plan. So pat on the back for me for making on a revision pad. I'd say I... I'm not going to, I don't ever say where I am because I, I don't like jinxing it. I say how I feel and what I'm doing for other people. So I'm in a really great financial, like I'm financially able to support myself and my family, um, me and my parents. Uh, <laughs> and I am continuing to create spaces for specifically black and brown youth to enter specifically the design realm like like the a creative space to encourage them to be creative um and educating them on what design is and looks like um yeah i think that's like my biggest hope for myself on these next couple of years especially entering the new decade is to um introduce design as a possibility to more people, young people of color, um, and older people of color, because you can always switch careers, um, Mm -hmm. and create, just create spaces where they're able to be their, their fullest self. Well, just to, you know, kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and your work and everything online? Um, so I am on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn and yeah, not Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Chanel Nyree, C-H-A-N-E-L-N-Y-R-E. Um, and on Twitter at Chanel underscore Nyree. Um, and there's also my website, ChanelJames.com. All right. Sounds good. Well, Chanel James, I want to thank you for coming on the show and not just sharing, you know, your story, but also really for, I think, uh, what I hope, well, first of all, really illuminating conversation. I, I love being able to really like talk and go into these sorts of issues around identity and the industry mm-hmm. and motivation and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I hope that others that listen to it will get inspired too. I feel like there's a lot of folks that are in the middle, mm-hmm. but the thing is the middle is very vast as mm-hmm. we've sort of discussed. It can be a few years into a decade in right. or more, you know, it's, it's a, there's a big gap there where a lot of us are, are in the middle of it, as you put it earlier. And uh, I'm just really glad to be able to talk about these things with you. Glad you're able to mark this off your five-year plan. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this was really, really great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. And I encourage any, anyone to, if you felt inspired by this to reach out, I'm, always excited to um chat and network with people and i mean let's make this this what did you call it black pack black. <laughs> <laughs> let's make it happen let's make it real so yeah thanks so much Maurice, for having me on the show Thoughts of love are and that's it for this week big thanks to chanel james and thanks to you for listening You can find out more about Chanel and her work through the links in the show notes at glitch.com forward slash revision path. And of course, thanks to both Facebook Design and Abstract for sponsoring this episode. Facebook Design, of course, is a proud sponsor of Revision Path. And if you want to learn more about how the Facebook Design community is designing for human needs at unprecedented scale, 
then please visit facebook.design. This episode is also brought to you by Abstract, design workflow management for modern design teams. Spend less time searching for design files and tracking down feedback, and spend more time focusing on innovation and collaboration. Like Glitch but for designers, Abstract is your team's version-controlled source of truth for design work. With Abstract, you can version sketch design files, present work, request reviews, collect feedback, and give developers direct access to all specs all from one place. Sign your team up for a free 14-day trial today by heading over to www.abstract.com. Revision Path is a Glitch Media Network podcast and is produced by Maurice Cherry and edited by Brittany Brown. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. We're also powered by Simplecast, the easiest way for podcasters to publish and distribute audio on the internet. Make sure you check out the show notes for a link to sign up for a 14-day free trial. And if you like this episode, then please let more people know about it by leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It takes about a minute or so to do, but it really helps spread the word about Revision Path everywhere. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever you find your favorite shows. And make sure you're following us on social media as well. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for Revision Path. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.